Welcome to the Evangel Temple Youth Ministries podcast. We pray that this message would be instrumental in God speaking to you and drawing you closer to Him. Now, here's today's sermon. Thank you, Isaac, for introducing me. Um, again, my name is Alex. I work for an organization called the Church Multiplication Network, which is all about um, planting new churches across the nation. Um, kind of one of the things that we as church people think is that everybody in the United States has access to the gospel. They have access to the church. And that's just simply not the case. There's uh, many places that exist without um, a representation of Jesus. And so our kind of mission and goal is to see a healthy church planted in every community so that um, students across the nation can have experiences like you have here. So that's what I do um, throughout my day. And then my nights belong to my lovely wife, Cassie, who also works um, at the Assemblies of God National Office, and she works in discipleship. And uh, it's my pleasure to be her husband. So um, tonight, I want to look at a passage in Matthew 6. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew 6. Um, Isaac has mentioned, you guys have been going through the Sermon on the Mount, that you have been studying the words of Jesus and as they relate to um, really what he has to say about what kingdom life looks like. What kingdom life looks like. And that's kind of a foreign term to us. But the majority of what Jesus talks about is this idea of the kingdom of God. And really the best way to understand the kingdom of God is it is the reign of God over all of creation. And so Jesus is primarily concerned with telling us what God's reign looks like. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he's really telling us, here's how you live in that new kingdom. So imagine you were to immigrate or go somewhere else across the world. You would have to learn how to live in a new culture. You'd have to learn how to speak a new language. You would have to learn where the grocery store is. You'd have to learn where your school is. You'd have to learn all kinds of things. And so the Sermon on the Mount is kind of Jesus' way of saying that the kingdom of God is different than the kingdoms of man. The kingdom of God has to be learned. You have to learn how to live in the kingdom. And so he's talking through what radical religion, this radical life of the kingdom looks like. And then in this text that we're looking at tonight in uh, chapter 6, verse 5, he's talking in particular about prayer. So first, I think you guys talked about last week, charity, doing good unto others, giving in your material things, in your money, and of your time. And in this section, he's talking about prayer. And in particular, he gives us two warnings. He tells us what the reward of prayer is. And then he gives us a template for what prayer looks like. So we're going to look at this passage. And before we do, um, I want to give you a little background. Matthew is a disciple of Jesus. Um, we're told he's a tax collector. And he really writes his gospel to help the church be discipled. So he's writing this work, he's writing this story about Jesus's life as a way of saying this is what radical kingdom life looks like. And so he's writing it to a Jewish audience, he's writing it to the church saying here's how we live in the kingdom. And he says this to those who are gathered. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen 
by others. Truly, I say to you that you have, that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As a Christian, as a Christian group, we, we know that prayer is important. Um, we know that prayer is the lifeblood of Christians. But, but knowing that prayer is important and practicing prayer are two very different things. Um, if I can confess to you, um, I don't think I have all that great of a prayer life. And if I can confess even further, I don't know that anybody anywhere goes, man, I've got the best prayer life ever. Prayer is difficult because it's learning a new way to engage with God. Prayer is something in which we're challenged and we're transformed. Prayer is hard. And we're pretty inconsistent with it. And I'm pretty inconsistent with it. So sometimes I feel unqualified to talk about prayer. I feel unqualified to talk about this subject. But luckily I'm not leaning on my words, but rather I'm leaning on the words of Jesus. And so I want to talk through a few things Jesus talks about when it comes to prayer. And I want to suggest maybe a few ideas for us to consider as we think about how we can be more consistent in our prayer. Maybe some motivations that we could change. Maybe some misconceptions that we can change. And I think that um, maybe as we consider these things, we'll, we'll have an opportunity to practice this again. So if you would, bow your heads with me and we'll pray. Um, Lord, we, we are gr- thankful for your grace. We're so thankful that you have given us scripture that we might know more about Jesus and more about your kingdom. Lord, as we open up your word and as we, we look at it and as we consider it and as we think about it, I ask that you would just be present and that you would help us understand prayer better. Father, that in the coming weeks, the coming months, and the coming years, God, that you would make us um, consistent in our prayers, that we would live a radical religion by having a radical life of prayer. So God, I pray that over us, and I thank you for all that you're doing and all that you're going to do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. how many have ever been snowboarding or skiing? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, a few people. So I went one time. One time because I'll tell you why. Um, I went one time with my youth group uh, about f- 
I'm trying to remember how old I am and then work backwards. I was 17 at the time, and uh, my youth group was going, and I had never gone snowboarding before. So never done it before, didn't know a thing, but I was hype. I was so excited that I watched a bunch of YouTube videos. I'm like, I'm the next Sean White. Like, come on, this is going to be great. I'm going to be a natural. Like, this is going to be awesome. So I get there. I bought some new snow pants. Like, I was feeling myself. Like, it was going to be great. And I get there, and one of my youth leaders had said, okay, go down the bunny slope once or twice, then move on to the medium slope. I was like, that, that doesn't sound like a good idea, but okay, I'll take it. So I, I go down the bunny slope, and it is like, like I'm surrounded by children, and I'm going down this, and I fall a couple times, but like I kind of start getting the hang of it, and so I get really confident. I shouldn't have been, but I got really confident, and so I'm like, you know what? I think it's time. Like, I'm going to go up to the medium-sized one, and it's going to be awesome. And so I'm going up it, and there's, like, warning signs, like, as I'm going up on the ski lift. And I'm going up it, and I'm thinking, you know, like I, tr I trust this youth leader. Like, I trust him. So, like, he knows what he's talking about. He's been snowboarding a bunch of times. So, like, it's going to be fine. So I, I, I get up there, and I'm looking down, and I'm like, this seems like a bad idea. There's a warning right here saying, you should not do this but I'm ignoring it, and I go, okay, here we go. So I go down it, and I fall the entire way down. Like, I did not, I don't think I made it 10 feet without falling. But I'm like, you know what, first time, that was not good. Second time will be much better. So I, I get some tips on my way up from some stranger, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to, like, I'm going to slowly do this. I'm going fi to, I figure out how to, like, slowly go down so that I'm going to make it. And I start going this second time, and I catch the edge of my board on this little lip, and I fall, and I land right on my shoulder, and I just hear a crack. And I didn't know what was going on, but I had broken my collarbone. And, you know, when you're halfway up the mountain with a broken collarbone, what do you do? Well, you got to get the rest of the way down. So the four more times that I fall down the mountain... I feel it break even more. So I get to the bottom. I'm like, you know what? This isn't good. And my youth leader, who had encouraged the bad idea, goes, you're going to be fine, and slaps my shoulder. And it was a lot of pain. I'll leave it at that. It was very miserable. But the, the fact was, I ignored the warnings going up the mountain. I ignored the very clear signs that said, you should not do this. You should pay attention. And I think what Jesus is giving us in the beginning of this text is a little bit of a warning, a little bit of here's how prayer works and how you shouldn't abuse it. He gives us two warnings in this text. The first one, he says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to hear themselves talk, and they love to go into the streets, and they love for everyone to see them. And for I tell you this, that will be their reward. Jesus' first warning to us is that we should not use prayer as a platform. Do you know what I mean by prayer as a platform? It means that prayer is not our means of getting noticed. 
We don't stand in front of people going, look how eloquent my prayers are. Look how well I'm talking to the Lord. We don't take our time so that others hear us. For I tell you this, that that will be your reward. Another way to say that is if you are using prayer as a platform, it's very unlikely that God is hearing you. If you are abusing prayer and using it as a way to gain influence or to gain friends, that that's as far as your prayers will go. This is Jesus' first warning. He talks about um, the Pharisees who... He says they're going out into the streets. And the reality is they probably weren't really going out into the streets. And kind of what Jesus is doing is he's kind of making fun of them. He's making fun of them for their really loud, demonstrative prayers because he's seeing beyond what they're doing. He's seeing to their heart and he's seeing that they just want to be known as the people who pray really well. So we must be careful not to use prayer as a platform. The second warning he gives, he refers to the pagans. And what he means by that, that's not necessarily a derogatory term. He's talking about the Roman culture that was around them. And what Roman culture was known for doing, what the Roman religion was known for doing, was throwing up the names of as many gods as they knew, hoping that someone would hear them. So they would just throw up Artemis, Aphrodite, Zeus, please hear my prayers. They would throw up as many names as they possibly could, hoping that someone would hear their prayer and that someone would answer what they are praying about. Jesus' warning here is using prayer as a means to achieve your own end. Jesus' warning about using prayer as Amazon Prime. How many have Amazon Prime? It is possibly the greatest thing man has ever invented, or woman. Humanity. It is possibly the greatest thing humanity has ever created. Two-day shipping is fantastic. Two-day shipping is awesome because on Monday I can want something, and by Wednesday I have it. Jesus is warning about praying in that way. Praying in a way where I'm like, God... I haven't studied for this quiz, but you know I need an A. I'm expecting it now. God, I, I know that I'm not nice to this person. I know they are a pain, but please remove them. He's warning against cheat, treating God like a genie. How many have seen the new Aladdin? It's wonderful. I love Will Smith. It's great. You should see it. But God is not like the genie in Aladdin. He's not there to grant our every wish. He's not bound to do our every whim. And sometimes we treat prayer as that. We treat prayer as if, if I throw this up to God, you know, hopefully he will rain it down on me. And Jesus tells us that rather we should understand that the Father knows our every need. And this should be a comfort to us that our Father in heaven knows our every need. He knows our every desire. He knows our every problem. He knows every thought in our mind and every struggle we face. And that we don't have to just throw up 
everything that we're going through in the hopes that if God doesn't hear it, he won't answer it. Rather, we trust that God knows everything and that prayer is not a means by which we get what we want. Prayer is a means by which we are transformed. And I think that's the, the idea I want to leave you with tonight is that in prayer, we are transformed. I know we've all been in that place where we've reacted wrongly. And the moment you said it, maybe it was to your mom, maybe it was to a teacher, maybe it was to a sibling, you reacted and you're like, no, please come back. You've had those moments where you're like, why did I say that? Why did I do that? And then the next time it comes around and the exact same thing happens and you, you, you kind of get in this, this feeling of, I, I, I don't know why I can't change, why I can't do the right thing. And I think what Jesus is suggesting is that the reward for our time and prayer is the means by which God transforms us. So as we, we think about our life with Christ and our life in the kingdom of God, we should see and understand prayer as a means of coming close to God and being transformed by him. Sometimes one of the things we feel when we're praying is we don't feel anything. Have you ever been in that spot where you just feel like you're talking and nothing is talking back? You feel like you're throwing up prayers to an empty room. Have you ever been in that situation? Maybe it's right now. Maybe you, you tried a prayer last night. You tried to talk to God. Maybe you're, you're dealing with something that you cannot face on your own and your God please move and it it just feels like there's nothing there and I hope what Jesus has to say encourages you because it's not that God isn't there we know by scripture and we know by what Jesus has to say to us that our God is there at all times but the point of prayer is not to just feel God it's to know that he's there and to be transformed by him. I hope that that little nugget that isn't necessarily in my notes, that little nugget just encourages you the next time it's late at night and you feel like you want to pray and you're not experiencing anything or you're not feeling anything. It's not that God's not there. But maybe the, the point of your prayer is not to just feel God. But your point, the point of prayer is to be transformed by God. So even when we don't feel him, even when it doesn't seem like he's listening, I promise you, he's there. He cares. He's in the process of transforming you. I think something I've learned as I've progressed in my life with Christ as I've walked with him is I think God is more interested in helping me solve my problems than he is in taking away my problems. You know what I mean by that? Whenever we have a difficult situation in life, and let me preface before I say this, I'm not talking about situations where only a miracle is possible. I'm not talking about those situations. God, throughout scripture, is very clear that he is a miracle-working God 
He's a God that responds to impossible situations by showing off. But I am talking about the everyday situations of life where it would be much easier if God took away the problem. I think he's more interested in helping us go through the problem. I think he's more interested in helping cultivate character and Christ-likeness and patience and perseverance. I think he's more interested in creating love in our heart than he is interested in plucking that problem away from us. God is interested in transforming you. He's not interested in making life easy for you. As we think about prayer, as we consider prayer, I think an important aspect of it is knowing that consistency wins the race. That a life of prayer is about constant reliance and constant going to the Father be transformed by him. Um, you know, sometimes it gets easy and you, you forget that you haven't prayed in months, that you haven't prayed in a long time. For some of us, maybe it's years we've gone without praying and without spending time alone with the Father. It just gets easy to just forget about it or to just keep moving. And I think it's easy to do that, but the difficult thing is being consistent. So, I would encourage you with this. Find a crutch. Find something that helps you remember to pray. If that means downloading a prayer app that reminds you to pray every morning, do it. I have one uh, called the Book of Common Prayer, and it's just prayers that I read every morning and every night. And it's a way to help me remember who I rely on and who I belong to and who's transforming me. Find ways to remind yourself. Find a book that offers some prayers that has scripture involved that you can, you can offer up to the Lord. Sometimes it'll feel like a habit. Sometimes it'll feel like, oh, I'm just doing this because that one kid came by one time and he told us we should pray often. Sometimes it'll feel like that. But I promise you, consistency with God is the only way to have closeness with God. I'll give you an example. Um... How many have a dog? Anybody? Pets? Okay, awesome. Um, is every day with your dog the best day ever? No. <laughs> no. Is, are there days in which you have incredible moments with your dog in which they are the best thing? They are man's best friend? Um, not, I'm, let me be very clear. I'm not comparing God to a dog. <laughs> But I, am comparing, but I am comparing our prayer life to having something close that you are consistent and walking with. You might not ever know. You, you probably aren't talking to your dog. If you're talking to your dog, let's talk later. Um, I've got some questions. You probably aren't having a conversation with your dog a lot, but you probably know your dog pretty well, Right? If you spend a lot of time with your dog, you know your dog pretty well. But spending time with the Lord is about, you know, just being with him. There's going to be good days. There's going to be bad days. There's going to be boring days. But our life of prayer is about consistency. It's not about a sprint. Jesus 
goes on from his two warnings, and he talks about the reward of transformation, and then he gives us this prayer, and we call it the Lord's Prayer. You know, you've heard this before, um, but I think it's, it's more closely, um, or maybe it should be called the Disciples' Prayer, because this is not a, an easy prayer to pray. If you read through the words, if you consider what it means, this is not an easy prayer. It's actually a pretty dangerous prayer. Because if you begin to pray this prayer often, it's the dangerous request, God, replace my will with your will. It is the dangerous request to say, God, it is not about me, but rather it is all about you. The disciples' prayer is the dangerous request for God's will to replace our own will. For us to remain faithful, for us to remain consistent with the Lord, it requires us to spend every day pursuing and seeking after him. I'm going to pray through the Lord's Prayer, but um, before I do, uh, I want to tell you a story, and I'm doing this a little bit out of order, so I'll let you know. Um, a few years ago, I got the opportunity to go to Israel. So I got the opportunity to spend some time in the land in which the Bible was written, um, where the stories take place. And let me tell you, they're, they're not just stories. They're the, it is the recordings of flesh and blood people. Um, but on the very last day I was there, um, we went to the Mount of Olives, and specifically we went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you've been in the church for very long, you know that this is the place in which Jesus was betrayed by Judas. You know that this is the place in which he kind of spent his final moments with his disciples, and more specifically, he spent his final moments praying before he was betrayed. And whenever you go to Israel and you go to the Garden of Gethsemane, something that um, maybe you wouldn't know just by reading it becomes very obvious. When you go there, the city of Jerusalem, which is where um, the guards were coming to arrest him, sits kind of down in a valley. And the Garden of Gethsemane is, is kind of a way, there's like a little valley, and it kind of comes up to a large hill. So when you're praying in the garden, you overlook the city. You overlook that place in which the guards would have been coming. You overlook the place where the danger was coming. And just a short distance over this hill is a vast wilderness. Um, and in particular, that wilderness is known for being a place where people hide and they can't be found. So just to set this moment up for you, when Jesus is in the garden, he sees the guards coming for him. He probably had over an hour to see the guards coming from the city, going down the valley, and coming up the mount. Probably had over an hour. Just behind him was a place known as a good hiding spot. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the temptation in that moment? Can you imagine what it would have been like to be in that garden, to see the danger, to know what that meant, 
that those guards weren't just coming to arrest, but rather they were coming to crucify. To know that the most painful death was marching across the valley, and your answer was just a simple walk the other direction. Can you imagine the temptation of a moment like that? And yet, in that moment, we have one of the most profound prayers in all of Scripture. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I think there's something significant about that moment. And I think we would all be in agreement when, we, when I say, I want to be faithful in that moment. But I don't know that I could be. And I don't know that Jesus could have been either. If in the book of Luke, we weren't given privy to his prayer life. In a book full of action, full of the moments of Jesus' ministry, over nine times we're told Jesus went off alone and he prayed. Throughout the book of Luke, it's Jesus went off alone to pray. 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 And in this moment of probably his greatest temptation, Jesus went off alone to pray. Pastor Isaac has, has told me kind of your tradition for concluding sermons like this is to stand up and to find a place in the room to reflect. So I'd invite you all to, to find a place. And when you do, kind of get ready to reflect because I, I'm not done when you get there. So find a place. And I want to go through the disciples' prayer with us. And I invite you to reflect and consider it. Once I conclude this prayer, I'm going to be up here. If you want to talk, if you need someone to um, ask a question of, I want to be up here for you. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Let's consider the words of Jesus. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the glory, the power, and the honor forever and ever. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the sermon. If you want to find out more about our youth ministry or any other ministry here at Evangel Temple, you can visit our website at etchurch.org. 
Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon.